Welcome to KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Monday, August 7th of 2023, and I'm your host, Jimmy Searfoss. Coming up on today's program, the Taste of Ethiopia Festival is the largest gathering to make a comeback from a pandemic hiatus. We'll speak with one of their volunteers. Then CityCast Denver will hear why one reporter is calling Colorado the best state in which you can buy an electric vehicle. After the BBC News headlines, we'll hear the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. And for today's edition of A Public Affair, Stacey Johnson sits down with Christy Peoples, Executive Director of Women's Wilderness. At 9 a.m., Counterspin will bring us a look at fairness and accuracy in reporting. And at 9.30, Doug Gertner will be in the Denver studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all coming up, but first headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. Colorado wildlife officials are searching for a black bear that bit a man Saturday night at a campground near Trinidad. The man told officials he was relaxing in a hammock in the Purgatoire River Bottoms campground area when he heard a rustling noise. After turning on his headlamp, he says he saw a bear right next to him. The bear then bit him on his upper right arm once and wandered off. The man received treatment at a hospital for relatively minor injuries. The man said he didn't have food or other items with him that would have attracted the bear. Because the attack targeted a human, Colorado Parks and Wildlife planned to euthanize the animal. The agency says this is the third reported bear attack in Colorado this year. In related news, the city of Boulder will soon require dogs to be on leash, at least during bear foraging season. The City of Boulder's Open Space and Mountain Parks Department is enacting the new seasonal rules starting August 15th. They say this will help prevent dog-bear encounters at a time when bears are most active as they seek food before their winter hibernation. The affected trails include Skunk Canyon up to Mesa Trail, Saddle Rock, and Amphitheater Trails, and portions of the Gregory Canyon and Dowdy Draw Trails. The rule will be in effect through Wednesday, November 1st. A new law raising the minimum age to purchase a firearm goes into effect today. KGNU's Ivana Levis has the details. Senate Bill 169 raises the gun purchasing age limit to 21. Democratic lawmakers introduced the bill early in the most recent legislative session, and Governor Jared Polis signed it into law in April. The bill was originally intended to ban both the purchase and possession of guns for anyone under 21, but underwent many changes before it passed. If a person under 21 has already purchased a gun previous to the passing of the new law, the possession of the gun is considered lawful. There is also an exception to the bill if a person under 21 is active duty military, involved in shooting sports, or is enrolled in Colorado parks and wildlife courses. The organization known as Rocky Mountain Gun Owners is challenging the law in court, arguing it violates an adult's right to purchase and possess guns. The lawsuit remains in its early stages. For KGNU, this is Yvonne Olivas. Boulder County has announced that plans to build a separate bike path along Diagonal Highway are funded and in the final design stage. KGNU's Emily Cecilo has more. The announcement that Boulder County is moving forward with plans for a bikeway along Diagonal Highway came just days after a driver killed Magnus White, a 17-year-old competitive cyclist and student in Boulder High. 
The project to build a separate bike path between Boulder and Longmont has been working its way through various planning stages since 2014. Before the construction for the bikeway begins, there will be a public comment period to take feedback on things such as sidewalks, multi-use paths, crosswalks, bike lanes, and more. The plans include connecting future bus rapid transit stops at 63rd Street, Niwot Road, and Highway 52. Groundbreaking on the new infrastructure is scheduled to begin in the first quarter of next year. For KGNU, I'm Emily Cecilo. United Airlines has announced plans to purchase just over 100 acres of land near the Denver International Airport. KGNU's Zach Thompson has more. The $33 million purchase is part of United Airlines' efforts to expand capacity in major airport hubs. The Chicago-based airline indicates that acquisition of 113 acres of land near DIA will help to expand a training center and add 240 new positions to their workforce. United is already the largest private sector employer in Denver with roughly 10,000 employees. For KGNU, I'm Zach Thompson. Denver's minimum wage will increase again next year as part of an ordinance that City Council passed in 2019. The new hourly minimum wage will be $18.29, up from the current $17.29. For workers that earn at least $3.02 in tips, minimum wage will be $15.27. Denver's ordinance ties minimum wage increases directly to the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. The CPI measures the change in consumer prices based on location, which means when living costs increase in a specific area, so does the minimum wage. And in Boulder County, officials plan to increase the local minimum wage to $15.70 per hour on January 1st of 2024 for unincorporated areas such as Eldora, Gold Hill, Niwot, and Eldorado Springs. The increase is 15% above Colorado's 2023 minimum wage. The increase is intended to address rising costs in Boulder County and help its lowest-paid workers keep up with living expenses. County commissioners are inviting feedback from businesses in upcoming listening sessions. In-state residents who apply to Colorado State University for undergraduate studies no longer need to pay an application fee. As of August 1st, prospective students for the 2024 to 2025 academic year can waive the typical $50 fee when applying to CSU through the Common App. CSU admissions officials say waiving the fee will remove another potential barrier to student enrollment. Sunny with increasing clouds along the Front Range today, a chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. In Boulder, a high near 83 and a low around 55. In Denver, a high near 84 and a low around 57. In Fort Collins, a high near 83 and a low around 53. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. You're listening to The Morning Magazine. I'm Jimmy Searfoss. Ethiopians make up one of the largest immigrant populations in Colorado. An estimated 30,000 people who are either born in Ethiopia or are of Ethiopian descent live in the Denver metro area. Last Saturday marked the first time since the start of the pandemic that the Taste of Ethiopia Festival returned to Colorado's roster of summer festivals 
with a mouth-watering selection of traditional dishes, ceremonially roasted coffee, fresh fruit smoothies, and handcrafted desserts. The festival held at Denver's Parkfield Lake Park also featured live performances by musicians and dancers and an awards ceremony to recognize outstanding community members. While at the festival, KGNU's Shannon Young spoke with Jan Bryant, a volunteer for the festival's organizing committee. I have had decades of volunteer work with different international festivals. This one is near and dear to my heart just because of the, the community and it's in my home state. And so just a happy volunteer. And you are not Ethiopian, but you are involved in the Ethiopian community here in Colorado, which is very large and your your involvement has gone back many years how did you first get involved well um the first official involvement with the the community in colorado was i was working in the ethiopian adoption service industry and one of the counselors um, who helped integrate the families and interview and make sure that the families were appropriate for the children she was one of the leaders on the committee. And so it was very kind of her to invite me to volunteer. And that's how I got started. And this was back in 20, 2010 or 2011. So it was a while ago. Um, I had a blast. This was before it was official because the Taste of Ethiopia was actually incorporated in 2013. So this was the very, just the first attempt at any kind of Ethiopian cultural festival and that happened in um, City Park in Denver. Um, and then I moved away to Texas. And then when I came back, the phone rang and said, hey, you're back. Do you want to volunteer again? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't realize that the ties were that strong. I didn't expect, so it was an unexpected invitation and I couldn't say no. And they've been an amazing group to work with and it's just a really great homecoming. I mean, they're coming back after, you know, um, a halt during a hiatus during COVID. And so this was really like, I feel like, oh yeah, this was the right thing to do to come back to Colorado to get involved in this. And it's just, it's something I haven't been able to replicate in the other cities that I've lived in. You mentioned you were involved in the, the adoption community around like the 2010s, mm -hmm. but did you have experience with the Ethiopian community before that? Um, only in college and only at a, at a collegiate level with like our international festivals. So it was colleagues and, and classmates that I was going to school side by side with, but not to the depth of what I experienced here in Colorado. So my collegiate days were back in Washington, D.C., and so that is a very international environment compared to what I grew up here in Denver, but it was um, more of us, we're all just trying to get through the exams and hey, let's go eat some food that my family cooks. I didn't learn about the history. I just knew that, yeah, and they look like my folks, you know, so <laughs> there was that comfort level of the familiar yet not familiar that, yeah, it was really a, a really um, amazing and interesting experience, but I have to say that the homecoming here to Colorado and the working with this community has just been just been marvelous. What all goes into organizing the Taste of Ethiopia Festival? Oh, a lot, a lot. And so luckily I stepped into a group that had been doing the Taste of Ethiopia branded festival for some years. In fact, even though we had the three year hiatus, this is the ninth year. So we're really, really excited about what's gonna happen for our 10-year celebration next year but there is everything from there's logistics there is com community networking 
although I'm chatty on microphone when no one can see my face, I'm very much kind of a wallflower and, and a nerd. My, my specialty is um, fintech, financial technology. So I played a role in encouraging them, hey, let's kind of try some different things to free you up from having to be staring at a spreadsheet all the time. And, and then they already had the community contacts. So it didn't take a lot of effort. I think that the community was really hungry to get back together again. I, I think as we all are, I mean, we all got a chance to do that in our own way after the lockdown ended. But can you imagine three years waiting to celebrate again? As somebody who was born and raised in the US, mm -hmm. what do you feel have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned or some of the biggest takeaways of working closely with the Ethiopian community wow. in Colorado? Um, I have to say that it's been life altering. I don't know that I would have ended up marrying someone from the African continent, but I did. And he's not the same tribe, but they have very similar cultural practices. And I, I really think that there are some things that really forever change you. And it's really important what groups you associate with and align yourself with and volunteer with. I appreciate the, the ancientness of their culture. Like um, I can pop open Holy Scripture and see that there are one of two countries on the African continent that are listed in Scripture. And so, you know, what is now Ethiopia was at the time Abyssinia. That's pretty intense for me. Um, and what else? Just the food. Wow. Yeah, I like to eat. <laughs> so, um, I like to drink coffee. <laughs> Co that? Coffee's from Ethiopia. Oh my gosh. And like the coffee culture. Like when I was growing up, I knew Folgers and Sanka. Yeah. And it's like, there's no going back to that. Once you smell the aroma of the roasting beans and you have the little Dimitas cup of the coffee and you see how they take their time and that it's a it's a big to do it's not just and I, I'm just like everybody else well I'll grab my coffee on the go but it's also really nice to sit back and experience it through the eyes of a different culture that approach beverages and socializing in a completely different way so yeah yeah so even though I wasn't literally born in two cultures it is also really fun to be able to choose the two cultures that you put your feet into and is there anything else that you'd like to add or any kind of reflections that you have for our listeners if you get the chance come out even if it's you want to observe and just kind of watch the crowd because you'll watch the crowd and then you'll be drawn in and then the aromas of the food will pull you in and then you'll probably dance a little bit it's a lot of fun and it's just it's amazing to live in the state of Colorado and to have so many wonderful things to attend and to be involved in. Jan Bryant, committee member, a volunteer with the Taste of Ethiopia, thank you so much for speaking with me today. You're welcome, thank you. For KGNU, I'm Shannon Young. When it comes to climate change, Governor Jared Polis and the Democrats in control of the State House are getting big on electric vehicles, or EVs. 
They recently increased the state incentive for residents purchasing an EV from $2,000 to $5,000, but that's just the tip of this melting iceberg. Colorado Public Radio reporter Sam Brash says there's no better state in the country to buy an electric car than Colorado. CityCast Denver host Bree Davies and producer Paul Caroli sit down with Brash to break down all the money available to EV-curious Coloradans. There is no better state to buy an electric car in the country than Colorado. Okay. And we, and we can get big. into that. That's bold. That's big. I'm making the statement. You heard it here first. But let's just let's just run through this because yes, please. I think just going through the rebates you can get here in the state, it's mind-blowing. All right? So there's the $7,500 federal incentive that's existed for a long time, but it has some new rules in the Biden's Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. I'm adding this up. 7,500. So 7,500. Do add it up because the final figure is absolutely wild. Okay. Okay. So we got 7,500. That's been there for a long time. The article you read that I wrote is about Colorado passed a new $5,000 EV state tax credit okay. in the last legislative session that is now available to any EV purchaser in the state. You get a tax credit for five grand. You get a grand. tax credit. One important thing to note here is that's a refundable tax credit, unlike the federal one which is non-refundable. That just means to get the full federal rebate, you would need a $7,500 federal tax liability. You need to owe the government that much to get that much. Oh, okay. Mm. Which okay. is why a lot of people say like this credit just, it's all about rich people. But mm. the state one doesn't matter. You could owe the government $2,000. You still get You still get it. You okay. still get it. So it's part of an option. Okay. And, and this is just the beginning. All right. So okay. we are all, what are we at, Paul? We're at, We're at 12,500. <laughs> that's right. All right. So they also have uh, another $2,500 rebate for cars under $35,000. That goes live next year, and it's meant to really help low-income car purchasers. Sure. And I think we're the only state that has something like this that you get even more off on cheaper EVs. Is that only on new EVs? That's only on new EVs. Okay, not on used. Okay. Correct. Starting sometime next month, there's something called the Colorado Vehicle Exchange Program, and that'll apply to only people under an income limit. You have to make uh, less than 80% of your area median income, and then you have to trade in an older car. I think it's before a 2006 model year or something that's failed an emissions test, right? So we're trying to get dirty cars off the road. If you get that, you get $6,000 off a new purchase. Mm -hmm. Oh, or wow. $4,000 off a used EV. That's a really good deal. I'm thinking about, we have like a 2001 Subaru Outback. Mm -hmm. That has failed emissions. Yeah. <laughs> We've had to get it fixed. <laughs> that counts. But like, I don't know if we could get uh, six grand for it in a trade-in, right? Or four grand. Right. So this is like a considerable... It's a lot. That's a lot. And then there's our favorite company, Excel Energy, <laughs> <laughs> also offers $5,500 for a new EV, $3,000 for a used EV. Now, this gets a little tricky because historically, you weren't able to stack that incentive with the other state incentives. Okay. Excel has asked utility regulators to change that. So sometime in the near future, you might be able to get that, that rebate additional. in addition to everything else. Add that all up, Paul. Oh, I, I check my it. math here. Yep. We are looking at $26,500 of EV rebates, which Holy is just cow. an insane number, right? I think it is very unlikely that somebody in Colorado could qualify for everything we just laid out here, given all the income restrictions, that non-refundable, refundable thing. Right, right. But what's, what's clear is that Colorado, we are all in on helping people buy EVs. It's one of our leading climate strategies, and especially for low-income people now, we really want to make sure that people aren't just buying luxury cars. 
Right. So you don't, it, it's not just for the Tesla driver anymore. Kind yeah. Of thing. This actually helps because my next question was going to be like, how do I go about it? But it's so it, you apply for the, you buy the cars and then you apply for these rebates. I would be my guess. In a lot of cases, yes. In other cases, some dealerships are working in programs where you might be able to get it at the point of sale. Okay. But that's kind of an uneven landscape right now. Most of the policymakers behind these things want to get to the point where you're not filing for this yeah. when you file your taxes, that you, you get it up front and maybe that means the dealer claims the rebate. That's the way Denver does its e-bike rebates and it's part of the reason why it's been so it's successful. It's been so successful. Um, okay. But yeah, right now, usually you're getting these when you file your federal taxes. So you're probably out the money up front and then crossing your fingers that this all works out on the back end. So, and I want to I want to name this because it's something that I hear folks talk about with electric vehicles, which is range anxiety, mm-hmm. which is basically w- not wanting to invest in the EV because you're not sure that you're going to have these options to charge. I think about so my mom before she, I've talked about this before. She I wouldn't say she's strong armed, but she got her HOA to. Mm-hmm install these at her condo to install charging stations. But before that, she would plan out where she was going based on where she could charge her car. And so I see for the ease of like why people have cars in the first place, they would be like, yeah, why would I bother? I'll just, at least I know where a gas station is. Yeah. So how do we, how how would you convince somebody this is still the right choice? You're a person that says you can drive to Peonia. You can. And I would break it down in a few ways. One, you kind of do need that charger at home. That home charger is, is pretty essential in my opinion. Yeah, which is hard for people in apartments, right? Really sucks. Like they they need to figure that out. They need to add these two apartments. There's some cool state efforts to make that happen. But I'd say that's pretty essential. Once you have that, your city driving is taken care of. And I think that's like should be reframed as a real advantage here. You don't have to go to gas stations. You're always kind of ready to go around the city. And for the most part, people don't drive that far in their day-to-day lives. They're, yeah. The range of these cars is going to easily cover what you do in a standard day. On those days when you do go out into the mountains, you'll probably have to do some planning. There's some good apps like PlugShare to kind of help you figure out which places can I hit? How can I do that? And then- Are these it, apps actually good? Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think so. They, they work for me. I mean- I'd say the big limitation here, and that's what I was going to get to, isn't so Mm -hmm. much the apps or or driving around the city. It's right now a lot of chargers, especially the non-Tesla chargers, are so finicky. They're just really poorly maintained, Mm. and they... They so you just might get to one work. and it doesn't work. Yeah, and it's not for like some complicated engineering system. It's like the credit card reader doesn't work. But like this so is what people are thinking of. People not are thinking even about knowing. this. Like this is so hard. And I'll say a few things with that. One, the charging network just in the last three years has gotten a lot better. Totally. The state is pouring a lot of money into it. The federal government is pouring a lot of money into it. So those were the problems that exist and they still exist to a large extent. Um, but they're getting better every single day. I have to ask you about something, Sam, which is like in the back of my mind, I'm I'm hearing like our friend transit reporter, Nate Miner, and other people who really care about transit who might say, uh, okay, EVs are still single occupant cars and they bring along with them this same baggage. I mean, beyond emissions, 
We're talking wear and tear to our roads, uh, the fact that there's still traffic. And also, I think the biggest issue is cars kill people, right? We're thinking about Vision Zero here in Denver, how traffic deaths have been on the rise. This is not eliminating any of that. What is? Where do you see electric vehicles in that conversation? I think electric vehicles, if you want to talk about pedestrian safety, is going to make the problem worse. Yeah. Like, really? Think, yeah. Electric vehicles are incredibly heavy. They are even heavier if we only sell electric trucks and SUVs. You start loading up cars with huge batteries with those kinds of weights, more people are going to die. Not to mention the issues that come up around all the critical minerals you need for those batteries, all the mining you have to do. And so if you want to really bank on EVs as a climate policy, I think the only honest way to do it is to not only incentivize electric cars, but find ways to incentivize smaller, more economical electric cars and understand that electric cars are an imperfect solution in a world that we've built around the automobile. We have whole suburbs, strip malls, apartments, everything is built with cars in mind. We have a way to swap in a cleaner technology, but multiple studies have looked at the Paris climate goals, has looked at states' specific climate goals, and it's pretty clear we're not going to get any, anywhere close to those if EVs are the only answer. And I've already seen some of the, you know, in the response to the article that I think you guys read that we could have $26,500 in EV incentives available in Colorado, have pointed out, like, why aren't we investing yeah. that money elsewhere. If we know that this is an imperfect climate solution, why aren't we just making transit free or mm. investing in bus rapid transit or finally building mm. the train down the front range, right? So sure, like EVs work for a marginal decrease in emissions, but we're going to have to move beyond the car at some point and it's a question of when and how you yeah. do that. Hmm. So it's like a very appealing half measure. And I guess that brings yeah. us back to politics. Absolutely. That's why it's happening. Yeah, that's, I think, why it's happening. It doesn't ask people to change their entire life. Well, Sam Brash, Paul Caroli, thank you both. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, guys. That's all for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host, Jimmy Searfoss. Stay tuned for commentary from Jim Hightower. Then it's a public affair with Stacey Johnson. That's all just after this news update from the BBC.